Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. This week on the Coffeehouse Classical, we're bringing you quite the character of a composer. It's Eric Satie, eccentric French impressionist. Satie was born in Paris in 1866. He spent his young years there, but after his mother died, he and his brother were sent to the French town of Enfleur to live with his grandparents. And this was actually fortunate for Satie, as it was in this town that he started learning music by taking organ lessons. His first musical love stemmed from learning the organ, and that was Gregorian chant. His grandmother then died in 1878, and Satie was shipped back to Paris. His father had since remarried, to a pianist whom Eric didn't like, but this allowed him to be enrolled in piano lessons upon his return. Though he was now formally learning music and had a natural gift, Satie hated the conservatory life and was described as the laziest pupil in the conservatory. But he did make many friends, including his lifelong friend Contamine de la Troie. Though, however much he hated the conservatory, he hated the thought of a mandatory five years in the French army even more, and so being in the conservatory allowed him to scrape by with only one year of military service. In 1887, Satie escaped Paris and his family and began his own career in Montmartre. Living away from school, military, and home, Satie began a rebellious phase that he never really grew out of. He lived quite close to the Chat Noir Cabaret and befriended the Master of Ceremonies there. And it was here that Satie then began living his outrageous bohemian lifestyle. Think like Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge. He called himself a gymnopedist, even though he had yet to publish his now popular gymnopedies. But it wasn't all fun and games. In 1890, he became the conductor at the Chat Noir. However, after a year, due to artistic differences... He chose to leave the Chat Noir for the Abouge de Clos, where he met and became friends with Debussy. During this time, Satie had some interesting goals. He wanted to find new directions for music using novel techniques, and he also wanted to be famous for it. He associated himself with flamboyant and avant-garde people during this time, and successfully made himself into an avant-garde figure. In 1893, he founded the Église Métropolitaine d'Art Jesus Conductor, which is... The Metropolitan Church of Art Jesus Conductor. But he was the only member. So with his newfound authority in his religion, he became a scathing music critic. <laughs> After a reevaluation of his current life, Satie moved to a quieter location of Arcul and effectively cut off his social life. However, he still walked to Paris each day, which was 10 kilometers, and he would get his work done by simply stopping at cafes along the way to compose and write a little bit before moving on to the next cafe. After 1900, a lot of what he was writing was material suitable for a music hall or cabaret, 
This was thought of by some to be less artistic compared to serious composers such as Debussy, and this caused Satie to secretly make fun of and mimic the style of Debussy in his works. In 1911, a young Ravel came onto the scene with a definitive impressionist sound. People quickly realized that those sounds had been coming from Satie's output all along, and Satie was hailed as a forerunner of the modern direction of music. He was now seen as more than just a cabaret composer, and he produced, quote, serious works, such as his collection Sports et Devoisements. During World War I, Satie found himself becoming successful by commissioning theater works. He composed a few ballets, notably Parade and Mercury, that featured costumes designed by Picasso. He also created his masterpiece, a, quote, symphonic drama called Socrate. Though most of his work up to this time was intended to be out there and have novel harmonies, in the 1920s he began setting a Gnode opera, Le Médecin Melgur Louis, that featured nice traditional harmonies. He was also commissioned in 1924 to write a film score for René Clair's film Entracte. This score was notable in that it was the first score to be truly synchronized with the events happening on screen. Satie himself appeared in the movie, and his role was to fire a cannon from the rooftop. <laughs> Satie spent the end of his life in a hospital and died of liver failure in 1925. So before we get into the piece, I just want to give some indication of how silly and quirky Satie really was. So here's a rundown of what was found after his death in his single-room apartment that no one had seen for 27 years. He had a hoard of umbrellas, every newspaper he had ever gotten, <laughs> not one, but two grand pianos stacked one on top of the other. <laughs> for the best composing experience, obviously. Obviously. And during his life, he always had a fascination with the medieval period, and he expressed this by maintaining a collection of tiny model castles. Now, interestingly, he would occasionally put out ads in the local paper advertising that a castle was for sale or rent, but of course this building didn't actually exist in its full-scale form. What a character. So let's talk about one of his pieces here, the Fantasy Valse. Satie composed this little ditty in 1885 while he was only 19 years old and still bitter about having to live in Paris. Like most of his works, this piece sounds deceptively simple and has a certain cuteness to it. However, upon close listening, it actually has many surprising elements. An interesting observation about the overall sound of this piece is that it's quite similar to the American piano rags of composers such as Scott Joplin. This is particularly heard with running eighth note patterns that repeat in a syncopated way, much like we hear in famous rags such as the Entertainer and Maple Leaf Rag. Setti, of course, liked to play around with time in his works. And we hear this often at the ends of the major sections of this piece. Take for example here, when the ending chord progression sounds like it should have just a few more beats than it actually does to reach its resolution.
However, after hearing the resolution, it all ends up making sense. The A section of this piece is quite charming, with the first little melody written in D-flat major. Satie sets us up for a surprise by starting each introduction of the theme with an upward scale starting on A-flat with D-flat major chords in the bass clef. The surprise comes when Satie takes the D-flat major chord, which consists of D-flat, F, and A-flat, and changes just one note, the F, to F-flat. This scary chord is actually just D-flat minor. And interestingly, this isn't actually the start of the ending harmonic progression of the phrase. It's almost like Satie is taunting us with, this piece could have been scary and in a minor key, but I'll keep it cute. As he immediately switches back to the D-flat major motif before rounding out with the cadence. Satie also liked to keep it lively, breaking up his sections with little lulls in the music. In this first instance, he has just the treble clef playing a little elaboration on the first two notes of the waltz melody. He does a similar technique with sparse notes alternating between the bass and treble clef here. Near the end, he has not quite as sparse of a transition. He uses the first few measures of the A section, but stops before he gets too far, giving the listener a sense that maybe the performer was starting and stopping by accident. Throughout the piece, there are several cadences that sound very grand, despite just being the middle of a phrase. In the B section of this piece, Satie really leans into this technique with large chords that span up to five octaves. What makes these cadences even more absurd is that the music jumps right back in as though there had not been a quasi-grand finale. These dramatic endings almost make it sound like this is the soundtrack to an acrobatic circus performance, and after each stunt there's a little flourish to allow the audience to applaud, yet the complete routine isn't over yet. Finally, the ending of the piece is the same grand yet slightly condensed chord progression we heard earlier in the piece. The only way we can really determine this is truly the end, and not just another Satie trick, is that the music actually stops this time. <laughs> This piece is short and sweet. However, even though it was written early on in Satie's musical life, it still shows his unique ability to infuse humor and trickery into even seemingly inconsequential works. So if you liked this episode, please share us with a like-minded friend or colleague, and consider following us on our Facebook page or on our Instagram 
at Coffeehouse Classical Podcast. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The Fantasy Valse was performed by Constantine Stefan. You can find The Coffeehouse on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.